0: It's Ben Reiser, Director of Operations for the Wisconsin Film Festival, and more importantly, Head of the Programming Committee for the Wisconsin Zone section of the festival. And I am here right now with Caleb Peavy, who is the filmmaker behind the short film "Orn and Keepa. Uh, as I have to keep reminding myself. It looks like Keppa, but no, it's Keepa, Um, which hopefully you just watched, Um uh caleb i don't know if you've seen our our guide yet but we have paired your short with a a feature-length documentary called operation wolf patrol that's Uh, right we we thought like oh this is a perfect double bill um two sides of the wisconsin wolf coin um uh so hey uh i am dying to know how you wound up making this movie you uh you entered this as a student film Um, and so I'm guessing that this is something you did, uh, at, uh, UW Milwaukee.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It was, uh, my senior thesis film. So my, my final project, uh, in film school, um, the, the origin of this is, uh, I guess straight back to, uh, coming from a small town. I grew up in Eagle, Wisconsin.
0: Oh, you did. Okay.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. So, uh. It's kind of a, it it is an interesting story to me where uh, my parents both volunteer for the Eagle Historical Society. So this is actually maybe even a year before it came time for me to even think about what I wanted my senior film to be. And my dad texted me and he's saying like, look, we had, we just had this mass amount of 16 millimeter film donated from these people um some of it has to do with this this guy who is from here uh but a lot of it i don't know they they weren't able to view it all they didn't have a a, like a at the time Mm -hmm. but he i had shown him um the facilities at uwm which they have uh a lot of specialized uh 16 millimeter equipment and everything and so he knew that I might know what to do with all of this and there is really like hundreds and hundreds of roles of this film so he was asking me like what I thought about that and I told him I'd let him know but that's what kind of started getting me thinking uh getting me interested in trying to find a story in all this film and it really was there, there was boxes of of photos and everything
0: um where did where do you know where did this donation of, of of photographic materials come from
1: so it turned out and this i didn't know this until uh much later but it was donated by uh jim and kathy piala who i ended up finding sort of while digging through the materials and finding their contact info, I was never told that they were the ones who donated the, all of these materials. They were very close with Orin. And so they ended up with a lot of his stuff, um, uh, a lot of things that belonged to him when he passed. And so they thought like, well, let's finally, they were cleaning house and donated it to the Eagle Historical Society. Um,
0: so yeah. wait, did you find out that they were the ones who had, who had been accumulating and donating this material before, during, or after you were interviewing them for this film?
1: Uh, while, while I was interviewing them, it, it came up, or uh, one of the, one of those sessions, and uh, I found their info while digging through the materials, and I found, I think, a letter or, or an envelope from Jim Piala. And so I looked up, they own uh, like a plant nursery in Waukesha. And so I, I contacted the business and they're like, oh yeah, uh, our parents, uh, their children now run the place. So they're like, oh, let me get you in touch with um, our, our parents. They're good friends with Oren. And uh, one night uh, while driving home from work, actually on my way to the historical society to uh, look through some of the old film, I, I got a call. And I often don't, uh, take, um, on un- like unsolicited phone calls. So I sure. wait, I let it go to voicemail and I listen. and it was Jim Piala and he's like, Hey, I'm, I'm very happy to talk about this. So it was a, it was a really great moment for me. Uh, it was kind of a breakthrough because I wasn't sure if I was going to find anybody who knew Orrin Benson personally.
0: Right. I mean, Jim's, Jim's, um, narration Jim's talking head interview is uh, you know when when I watch the film I think well this is the this is the core of the film and I th- and I think like you know I think like well okay you you had access to this archival footage um, but without Jim uh you know there isn't anybody I think who is who is close enough to or was there at the time who could sort of relay some of these, important details about uh, Oren's life and of course um, his story that had to do with Kipa. So that's amazing. What a great, uh, what a great coincidence or, you know, just sort of coming together of of all of these elements. I want to ask you about the archival footage, which starts the film and then you come back to from time to time. And it's really Amazing stuff, and and fairly beautifully preserved, and then transferred to digital. Which sounds like that's ha- that happened at at UWM. Um,
1: I actually I sent that to a lab in Massachusetts. Oh
0: uh, wow! Okay, it's in
1: a lab, I believe it's in Massachusetts.
0: Um, so you were able to watch uh, the sixteen millimeter, like project it or run it on Moviola, uh, yeah. at the historical society or at UWM.
1: Uh, A bit of both. So they didn't have a working projector at the Historical Society in Eagle, which is roughly Mm -hmm. an hour away from uh, campus in Milwaukee and where I lived at the time. Um, But they did uh, acquire like a moviola so you could run through it. And so what my process was, I would uh, dig through a lot of this. All these film canisters were unlabeled. And Mm -hmm. so I would kind of quick watch through it. And there's Mm -hmm. some amazing wildlife stuff in there. Like I just really wanted to uh, digitize and everything and preserve just like wild moose roaming around Canada and like snowmobile races in the 1950s and 60s, just kind of wild stuff. But, uh, I would take what was relevant was truly relevant and, uh, uh, Project it when I was back in Milwaukee, and just like really see uh, see it in motion, and see if it worked, and see if I should uh, send it in to get scanned. So yeah, that's how that process went. We're all trained at UWM to to run a 16 millimeter projector, part of their boot camp, sort of.
0: Yeah, but you must be like among the most skilled 16 millimeter projector and more importantly, Moviola operators that I've got these days. <laughs>
1: Um, I'll, I'll never, uh, I'll never lay claim to that. They have some really dedicated, uh, I'd like to think I'm okay. It's been a while, but they have some really talented, uh, film projectionists there.
0: Um, I just, you know, I just, uh, went down to the basement the other day. Cause I went to film school in the eighties. Okay. Um, and we were shooting on 16 and I was, trying to design something for these golden badger awards that we give out. And we oh. have these golden Bucky badger statuettes, but I wanted to do like a sash that had like the name of the film and filmmaker. And I was like, it would be great if I could make a sash out of like 16 millimeter, uh, like white leader, um, you know, so that there was like sort of film related and uh, I couldn't find any white leader, but I did find some 16 millimeter um, splicing tape Um, So I use, oh, I can't even figure out how to point, but so I got, so here, here's some remnants from the good old days of, of, uh, of, of actual film. But anyway, the, uh, I'm interested in, in a choice that, that you made, um, with the, with this 16 millimeter sort of, uh, vintage archival footage, um, and and I think it was a a, a a nice choice. I'm not complaining about it all, but certainly something you had to decide whether to keep it. And it's what I'm assuming was its original aspect ratio would have been more like four three, or to cut off the top and bottom and get you know and and, and make it fill the sixteen by nine frame.
1: Right. Yeah. So I uh, eventually. Um... That was something I was actually kind of struggling with. I went back and forth because the scans were really well done. Yeah. But beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. I um, wasn't fully, and, and it's a testament to just like how, how they were shot, just like really amazing, this really organic sort of look to it. But I, at a certain point, I just decided I really want this to completely fill the frame or as much mm-hmm. of it as, as I can. Yeah. um and they were uh i i ordered 2k scans so i was able to you know blow it up a bit and it was sure i was editing on a, a 1080 just a standard hd sequence so it, i think it all worked out but um i don't know if i don't have a a really uh thought out uh, reason for it is i just like <laughs> really preferred that uh it, it dominated the screen
0: Listen, I'm going to I'm going to say something that I shouldn't say <laughs> in public right now given my job, but like I've got one TV that I can do that to, like even even in a 1080 or even a 4K signal, I can still get it to zoom and fill the frame if I want, like so if I'm watching something on the Criterion Channel or TCM oh. like an old Hollywood film that's 4 by 3 um I can force it to like fill the frame and without distorting it, but just cutting off the top and bottom. And quite honestly, a lot of the time that's what I do. I'm just like, I, I know, I know I'm I know it's sacrilege. I know I'm losing some of the image, but I don't care. I want this thing to fill my TV. <laughs> and it yeah, just, yeah, it's just it's just more we, enjoyable to me.
1: <laughs> we pay so much for the this technology. I just want the entire thing there. I understand uh the the verticality of of four by three and everything, but I wasn't I didn't really need that and listen
0: i feel Uh, the same way about cinemascope it drives me crazy that now that we have 16 by 9 tvs every everybody is now making their films in scope and i'm not talking about just marvel movies i'm saying like the the lowest budget indie comedies are all being shot in scope so that here you are again we finally get to the point where our tvs don't have to do pan and scan for you know uh uh, 185 or for you know uh, for scope and everything's scope so now you've got these pillared box things and i'm like screw that and again i'm hitting the zoom button i'm saying i don't care i'll cut the ends off it's, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely a rant we could
1: go on, but I, uh, yeah, I, I think so many people now, even for, uh, just internet, internet videos, they just want that cinematic look and this mm-hmm. is, it's a quick yeah. and pretty simple way, uh, to, to at least try to achieve that,
0: I think. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think no matter what TV manufacturers come up with next, uh, cinephiles and and filmmakers are going to figure out some way <laughs> to get it so that their image doesn't quite fit that whatever the new TV size is. Absolutely. Um. Anyway, th- I'll cut that out. That's an <laughs> idiot. But um, I also wanted to ask you. Uh, going down my list of things after watching this movie again today, uh, the music, uh, which I think is really nice. Talk to me about uh, how you wound up with the the composer that you did. And
1: yes, yeah, so. I worked with Austin, uh, at w- where, I still currently work Steinhoffel's furniture. Um, I can, maybe I can phrase that if that, if you want to cut businesses out, I'm not
0: sure. No, oh, no, I don't care. That's right. Okay. Let's give him yeah. a plug.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so I worked with, with Austin Newman at, uh, Steinhoffel's and he, uh, in the, in the photo studio. So we, we film and photograph, uh, all of our product and everything, but he, he was our audio tech and I hadn't heard too much of his music, except he would, he would occasionally compose stuff for our commercials. Mm. Um, and he, what he's a percussionist and he also really likes the marimba, which was great because what I always kind of imagined is, um, I absolutely adore the, uh, the film Badlands, the Terrence Malick film yep. Badlands. And I think the score to that, it's like this sort of fairy tale Marimba deal. It feels so natural to me. And mm-hmm. it just kind of makes the forest feel like a, a fantasy landscape. Um, and it, just the music on its own, but yeah, pair that up with, with the imagery and everything. Um, I really love that so this is kind of my way of emulating that or our way of emulating that um i sent austin some other inspiration just like some piano Uh, we were thinking about that but essentially he got right back to me with multiple tracks uh that he composed using the marimba um oh there's a, a a famous percussionist who specializes with the marimba um that we also used for inspiration, Ivan Trevino, I believe. Mm. Um, And so we listened to multiple tracks with that, but essentially I kind of asked him like, I'd like um, I'm a bit of an editor. So I uh, just kind of asked to cover all my bases, like different tempo uh, versions of this. And he immediately with, within a week, it was probably within a couple of days, because he was, he was excited, Austin, and he's an incredibly talented musician, and immediately it worked, and I never needed anything else. I mean, it's a short film, so there's only a couple opportunities to use the music, but right, um, it was perfect to me right away.
0: Uh, I also and- wanted to ask you about the archival audio that we hear. Um, um. Uh, uh, there, it sounds like there are some like interviews with, um, with, with Oren. Uh, and um, did, was that part of the same batch of materials that arrived at the historical society? It, it was. Yeah. So they, I don't have the original, I
1: believe they were recorded on like an old reel to reel recorder or something in the 1980s mm-hmm. um, actually from whoever was uh, curating the Eagle historical society in the 1980s. Um, And eventually those were converted to cassette tapes. So what I did was I, I'm not a huge audiophile or anything, but I do like, so I have fond memories of listening to cassette tapes as a kid. So I have, or I had a cassette player that my girlfriend uh, bought for me and I had uh, I acquired um, uh, a receiver and so I kind of linked them up and digitized those cassettes. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, those cassette tapes, there, there were two or three tapes um, in in a box that I found. And I was so happy that I found those because actually getting Oren's voice. Yeah. Like, if I didn't have Oren's voice, then it's an entirely different kind of, or it, it's a, a much different film to me. Where it's just kind of like really just looking back at him whereas this was i was able to get his image and his voice his audio in there and that was really special
0: it, yeah it is great to be able to actually hear his voice in addition to <laughs> seeing him and all that uh, old 16 millimeter footage um so you are uh, you you grew up in eagle wisconsin i did yeah so uh i i i have this question is uh is uh, sassos still uh, still in business
1: uh it's it's not Sassas anymore it's been re- evolving it's it's an absolute uh every few years it seems like there's a new business there i believe it's currently back to being a bar um oh. and uh motel of, of sorts <laughs> um of sorts <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know it's not uh, I, I wish I had an exterior image of it, but it doesn't exactly look like what maybe what you'd imagine. It, it no. almost looks like an old Wild West saloon. Uh, but it, oh, that is
0: what I imagine.
1: Oh, oh, well, that's perfect then. Yeah, And it's it's got that kind of classic supper club basement uh, yeah. kind of feel to it, which um, it was previously a coffee shop, which I really enjoyed when I would visit my parents at Eagle the past couple of years. Um, just having anodyne coffee in Eagle, Wisconsin blew my mind. Um, Cause that there was never a coffee shop. Really. There's a diner, there's a local diner, but mm-hmm. um, now it's back to being a bar. It's yeah, it's I think it's changed ownership a bit, but yes. Uh, short answer is yes. Sasso's legacy lives on.
0: That's good. So there's this great anecdote that gets told, uh, I guess by Jim about the, uh, the, the the skunk the decented skunk that got yes. let loose in Sassos but uh you know unfortunately you don't actually have footage of that of no. that memorable night but you do i think in a very clever way find some uh some sort of equally charming footage of a raccoon which i uh, can you tell me more about that raccoon footage or is is that also orin's is that in orin's house is that a one of his pets or something
1: yeah as, as far as i know now i it was hard, uh, especially in the time frame. or these are all excuses, but that was, it was labeled, um, that, that was Orin's And it, I don't think he had all, so he had all these, I'll call them exotic animals, um, yeah. not, non-typical pets. Uh, right. but he, it was almost a rotating group. It's, he didn't have many permanent, um, animals that weren't dogs or for a while wolves. Um, right but he had, he had many other exotic animal training friends. So he, he would like babysit the, this chimpanzee for a while. Um, but yeah, I, I think he had this raccoon for a while and it was labeled uh, that. Yeah. Just Oren Benson uh, raccoon or something like that. And so I thought, well, this is a similar kind of animal is similar enough. And it's, it's kind of whimsical footage. Like normally, or if a raccoon is running around your house, uh, it's not a delightful experience. But I also think raccoons are uh, adorable animals in a way, so I, I think it fit.
0: I think it, it fits perfectly. If you can't see a desented skunk, you might as well see a raccoon going Absolutely. wild in somebody's kitchen um, yeah. and in their refrigerator. <laughs> but uh, I, I do, I do want to, if I haven't enough. Uh, compliment you on on putting this film together because it really feels like it's a story that you heard and were told about and discovered and um and but it it, it feels like you needed to draw on almost every kind of tool that a documentary filmmaker can draw on to be able to tell this story in its entirety. And so you've got some archival footage, which tells some of the story. You've got some talking head interviews, which are beautifully shot and nicely recorded with sound and, 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 you know, and emotional, um, you know, the stuff that Jim, uh, talks about at the end. Um, you know, it was very touching. Um, and, 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 and that archival audio that we talked about and some other sort of, you know, footage that you've pulled maybe from the internet and stuff, some of the, the movie footage and those kinds of things, all that stuff is great. And then you also, uh, make an interesting, um, choice. And I think a, a beautiful choice, uh, to, to bring in some, some really gorgeous, shots of Kettle Moraine that I'm assuming you just shot yourself. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and, and you do this beautiful transition from this modern day, uh, really, really beautiful looking uh, nature footage that you've shot in Kettle Moraine. And then, and then transition from that into the vintage footage uh, of uh, Kipa, uh, you know, and looking like, like this wolf is in that exact same spot uh that that you've gotten in in modern day and i have no idea whether whether you had any idea exactly where we're seeing keeper or if it's anywhere near that stuff but it it works beautifully it really makes you it really the, the transition from the current day footage back to that archival footage i thought well this is great this really is a beautiful transition so congratulations on on tapping into all of those different resources and figuring out what you needed to do to tell this story um and all the thank different ways you needed to, to tell it.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. That, um, yeah, shooting, getting all of that sort of nature B roll out in Kettle Moraine. It, I mean, it's not, it was in the Kettle Moraine Southern unit. Um, so there, there's a fair chance it's not on the exact site of Oren's Oren Benson's former property or anything, but, uh, it's in the area. So it just felt right to me. Um, mm-hmm. and it was definitely something, um, I, I think might be often the case with uh, it might often be the case with documentaries where some of that is a happy accident that I, I found in editing was I was like, well, I really love this footage I have uh, of these trout and here we have uh, this. I had to use the footage of keepa uh, fishing yeah uh, is even if it was in the credits or something, I had to, I had to find a place to put that. Um, And it just really worked. And I wanted that to be sort of, yeah, a break in the film. Sort of, I don't think it's exact. I don't know if it's exactly a halfway point, but it's almost like, okay, we're done summarizing Oren's life. Now it's Oren and Kipa, or now it's
0: the Kipa half in a way. You know, and I really want to say it's 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 a great choice to give yourself that minute or so of of that calm sort of yeah halfway point break in the action and to allow some breathing room because i think it's really tempting when you've got tons of story to tell and you want you're trying to keep it to a short film to not have that kind of quiet breathing room so you know it, it it really it really does uh sort of reorient the viewer uh you know and say okay I've gotten a whole bunch of backstory now and now here I am present day and I'm happy to just hang out here for a minute and take a breath and then hear the rest of the story. Uh, so it was uh nicely done structurally as well.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: So I, I had one question that I couldn't quite figure out. I we, we hear about Packy. Is Packy Orin's nickname? Is that like his wolf name? I keep hearing about oh, Packy. No. Um
1: so so the story of this is something I didn't have time to fit into a, a twelve-minute film, but the uh, Oren initially he adopted these wolves, uh, a pair as as pups from some local or s- some farmers. Oh, okay, okay. So the there's areas. really two. Yeah, yeah. Kipa and and Paki. Paki
0: is the other is an, is actually another wolf.
1: Yes. So okay. they and their names actually came from the farmers as a husband and wife pat and kelly and so he just sort of reversed their names and came up with Kipa and Packy.
0: that's uh, funny
1: yeah so that's uh, i was looking it up and everything i was trying to think about it Kipa is a spanish name so i was curious if he had um anything uh, any relation to that, or if he traveled to Spain or something, but it's just a little bit of wordplay. And yes, yeah, so it was a, a bonded pair. I believe a brother and sister um, pair of, of wolf cubs. And so the, um, the wolves or the wolf howl that you hear at the end is uh packy howling or a recording of, I believe a recording of packy howling um, that Orin recorded at a, uh, at a certain point.
0: Yeah. That's great. Um, what's next for you? (sighs)
1: Uh, this, uh, what's next for you? I guess that's, that's not something I was exactly ready. I have a couple of, there are more ideas and things I have, uh, been kind of brainstorming, um, obviously or not to me i really am drawn back to i i sort of want to go back to the historical society they have so much more film that it was the majority of it was shot by another sort of local uh or local to the waukesha area um a man named bill haeft who i he worked for outdoor wisconsin Mm -hmm. some program that was alive during the seventies the and everything. And there's so much archival stuff there. I am um, really drawn to that, but I kind of want, I, was, I really do want to do something a little bit different. Um, so I, I've been looking at uh, a portrait of my father and his experience with different diseases, Crohn's disease, uh, uh, cancer, and sort of uh, how everyone in my family uh, sort of responded to different trips to the hospital and news. So I'm looking at personal, a personal sort of documentary. And then, um, really for me right now is, uh, yet working and, um, finding time. I'm acquiring equipment all the time. So I'm, I'm ready, but I don't have anything, uh, in the works uh, or in production. I'm more in pre-production on my own projects. I've been, uh, involved in other people's projects. This movie, uh, The Heartland, I was an editor on that's slowly getting accepted into more festivals, which is, it's a, a portrait of a few different um, people, uh, young black people who grew up in Milwaukee and talking about their experiences uh, in a city that historically doesn't love them as much as they love the city um, mm-hmm. so dealing with that. So The Heartland I've been working on, and with that filmmaker, Marquise Mays, um, where he's in production of his next film. So it's, I'm sort of a, a mercenary in a way. I'm sort of a jack of all trades. I kind of hop around. I love helping in any way I can. So I, I do, this. this interview, this question kind of is going to help motivate me, I think. Like, I really do want to get back and focus on myself a little bit and find time for that
0: well i'm not trying to put any pressure on you (laughs) uh but maybe you could do like a frederick weissman style uh thing about steinhoffels could be like a you know a day or a week at steinhoffels that might be fun i've
1: thought of that i love um i yeah i could do a three and a half hour Mm -hmm. observational documentary about every aspect of it uh, and I can start with myself. So it's, it's perfect. It always has to be something easy to start with yeah. ease my way into it.
0: Well, Caleb, thank you so much for sharing this film with us and with our audience this here. Uh, and uh, whenever you get to your next project, I'm excited to see it. And I hope you'll send it our way when it's ready. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm so
1: happy to have been a part of this festival and uh, yeah, to be part of this program. So it's really been an honor, and I love. I'm so glad that this film can be seen at all these Wisconsin festivals, and and hopefully uh, by a lot of people uh, who are interested in in uh, historic figures.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks so much
1: for talking to me, Caleb. Yeah, thank you.